Here's a question. Who else, apart from the IRA, makes you proud to be British? Um, Doctor Who, I think. Doctor Who? Yeah, I yeah. know that seems mad, and he's a fictional character, but... But he's, he's technically, he's not British. OK, well, it wasn't a very good answer. Ask me the question again. Hang on, it's supposed to be an interview with Tony Lee, not Stuart Lee. Dirty Hooers. Cross-Atlantic nitpicking about Doctor Who. From four grown adults who should probably know better. From four grown adults who should probably be working. We're not afraid to say it like it is. All the word bollocks. www.dirtyhooers.com The following interview contains spoilers for the IDW Comics 10th Doctor series. If you haven't read them and are planning to, give this one a miss until after you've done it. Otherwise, you might be a bit upset at some of the things Tony talks about. Still worth it, though. Go and read them. Go and read them now. Quick, quick, quick. Do it! We're here at the MCM Expo in London to talk to Tony Lee, writer of IDW's Doctor Who comics. Hello. Tony, how did you get the gig? I was very, very lucky. A while back, we're talking about 2004, 2005, I was pitching IDW a couple of series, and I got to know Chris Wilde, the editor-in-chief. And in 2006, I did a three-parter for Doctor Who magazine. Mm -hmm. And one day, Chris Wilde came to me and said, look, you know Doctor Who. We've got this licence. We're looking to do another mini-series. Would you like to pitch for it? And I honestly didn't think I'd get it. Gary Russell was doing the other series, and obviously with Gary Russell, you have no ego. It's Gary Russell. And I didn't think I'd be able to do anything better than him, so I pitched him three ideas and I did a gold, silver, bronze. The bronze was the most boring story you'd ever hear. The gold was one that there was nowhere in a hundred years the BBC would allow and the silver was a bog standard simple adventure and that was one I wanted to really push towards and as it was they turned around and they loved the absolutely insane gold one so that became Doctor Who the Forgotten. Which is superb I really enjoyed that Which was that the one. biggest thing I could ever have done and I really wish I hadn't in a way because I raised the bar so high every time I do another comic they go well it's not as good as a forgotten so. Oh I don't think that's quite fair. It's the kind of thing everybody has. I mean Moffat did blink and if I'm Blink's amazing, and then ever since then it was like, well, this isn't as good as Blink. <laughs> I think Neil Gaiman's going to have that now if he does another one after The Doctor's Definitely. Wife. So Yeah, it's a hard act to follow that one. Talking about The Doctor's Wife, there's an awful lot of people on Twitter who are actually comparing The Forgotten to The Doctor's Wife. Oh, tell me about it. There was a lot of people sending emails, and I did exactly the same reply. It was basically, there's been 45, 50 years of Doctor Who going around. There's been 45 to 50 years worth of stories about The Doctor going around. There was things that people were saying about it. Finding the old TARDIS control room was very much from Tesseract, mm -hmm. which was my two Parter, yeah. or The Forgotten, where they did it. There was him talking to the TARDIS as a woman mm -hmm. was done from The Forgotten. But Lawrence Parks did a book in the 90s, which mm -hmm. was similar. There's a TARDIS called Compassion, who was mm -hmm. in the books. It's not an original idea. When I did Forgotten, I didn't even consider who I'd followed it from. But it's one of these ideas, everyone assumes it. He's always calling her my old girl and mm -hmm. stuff like that. You just assume there's going to be something happening like that. Neil took the idea and just added a bit more to it. The mm -hmm. fact that the TARDIS picked him rather than he picked the TARDIS, that was something new. And also, when I did it, he was in the TARDIS Matrix. It was kind of like a holographic thing. Mm. It could have been his own interpretation. It could have been a dream scene. With Niels, it was very much, this is happening, this is what's going on, mm. this is how it is. One thing I did want to ask you about The Forgotten, it's a very interesting choice of companions at the end there, not necessarily all the ones that people might have expected. I mean, it was very nice to see Stephen in there, but I was a bit surprised to see Mel, because she's not normally people's favourite or gets on a list of favourites. I, I think that was the problem, is, and 
Bonnie Langford gets a short shrift because a lot of people hated Bonnie Langford, but she was a companion at a very dark time for Doctor Who. This was mm. the time of you know, Michael Grade and problems with the Sixth Doctor. You know, Paul Collin was fighting left, right and centre to ensure mm. that the series would go on. And I think if you look at the big Finnish audios, they've taken some of these companions that people absolutely detested and they've given them a massive lease of life oh, that they can really build them up. I think if you gave Mel a chance, Mel could be a good companion. And I used to feel like a panel, so it wasn't exactly... <laughs> it, it wasn't one of the biggest things I did, but I tried to put every single person in. The things I wanted to do with that in the final issue is I wanted to have Adric have a proper death mm-hmm. because I always felt he didn't get a chance to be the heroic one and he gets to say in this, you know, look, this time I choose to do this, Doctor, you know, I'm saving mm-hmm. you. And I wanted to put that through. I just wanted Chameleon because no one remembers who Chameleon is half the time. <laughs> I wanted to try and get every single companion in it if not named in a flashback mm-hmm. or there. But it had to end with Susan. Yes. I think I did okay with some of them. I mean, I had Jamie singing I Am the Doctor at one point. <laughs> yes. I would be utterly honest, it was the biggest fan stroke anyone could ever do <laughs> in the world it really was and I will quite happily say yes it was a massive continuity thing but I never thought I'd be allowed to write it again <laughs> I thought I'd get the forgotten done they'd go that's nice now go away sit in that table over there I didn't think they'd turn around to me and say do the ongoing mm. and of course the moment I got the ongoing I went great how do I top this <laughs> but taking the doctor to 1920s Hollywood was a lovely move well, that was my silver level on the, <laughs> oh, right. that was the one I wanted to do originally that was my idea the original idea for that was actually going to be it was the doctor and Rose but at the time I was pitching it Rose was still in it mm-hmm. And it was a Doctor and Rose going to 1920s Hollywood where they meet the fourth Doctor and Sarah Jane. The oh. idea being it's after school reunion, so Rose is looking at this young Sarah Jane going, mm. wow, I know what you become. Mm-hmm. Then everything changed and we had the opportunity with Silver Screen to bring in new companions. Mm. Or sorry, new people to travel with the Doctor during the duration of the arc. <laughs> uh, to use the actual term. Nicely sidestepped. <laughs> So we brought in these 1920s characters Mm. who were then able to just grow and get screwed over rapidly (laughs) over the series. It wouldn't be Doctor Who if they didn't get screwed over. IDW contacted me and said, we'd like you to do another story. And I said, awesome, I'd love to try it. And I pitched them another six-parter. And when I pitched them, they said, no, you don't understand. We want you to do the ongoing. Mm -hmm. And I actually said, ignore the pitch. And that night I wrote a 6,000-word pitch that basically went, these are the next 18 episodes of this comic. And I went through the lot and it was like, they're going to meet Matthew and Emily and this is what's going to happen to Mm -hmm. them at the end. And I wanted these two companions because one of the points we had with The Forgotten was we had Martha as a companion and everybody started going, why has he got Martha? Because mm-hmm. Donna's there now. And we all know that Martha's okay because we see her married to Mickey Smith, blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. So with Matthew and Emily, you don't know what's going to happen to them. They've yeah. never been mentioned. They're these black spots. And originally, we wanted to kill Matthew. Mm-hmm. The original plan was to actually have Matthew die. Very similar, in a way, what happens in the finale of the final sacrifice. But have Matthew die, the Doctor utterly destroyed, turns up with the body, going, oh, he's dead. Having Emily going, just go, leave me alone. Mm-hmm. You know, basically storm away and literally have him stagger off going oh my god oh my god and in my little fanboy mind we were setting it that he would stagger off into the final tenant episode the TARDIS warps out and then warps immediately back and Matt Smith walks out and goes did you miss me mm-hmm. and then episode 18 would be Matt Smith sorting out all the cock-ups that happened <laughs> in the 10th Doctor's one and doing a big thing but then we sort of went no we just want to keep it fresh we don't want to bring Matt into that one so we sort of changed it around quite a lot and then a small supporting character called the Advocate became this <laughs> massive bad guy who we hadn't even considered we didn't think the BBC would let us have someone involved in the Time War and when they did we just went excellent we're going to do this <laughs> I can honestly say about episode 7 it all changed that pitch document yeah these episodes here we're going to do this from now. <laughs> I must 
just be great as a creator to actually have that happen, to be able to sort of think it's going to go in one direction and then suddenly shoot off in a well, different one. we had to with The Forgotten, actually. Um, we were very, very lucky. When we were doing The Forgotten, obviously, it's been out for years, so yeah, people know the big twist is obviously the, the guy with the goatee isn't the master, he's actually an alternate doctor. We were going to have it that he was just an alternate doctor. He was just, you know, a different doctor. I mean, a great way of working it all out. And then, of course, literally the week before we wrote the 45th episode, the other doctor turned up in the tenant run. And we were just like, we can use this. It was still not set at that point. We were just going to do it as a standalone. And I went, we can do this if we do this. And it, we wrote the entire final episodes just to make sure it all fitted into yeah. the thing. And we literally were running around left, right, and centre doing that. And if you read the ongoing, you can see there's obviously points where you had just realised that this is going to happen at that point. And we were also changing it because we always knew that the final episode would end with him in the spacesuit mm-hmm. going to Waters of Mars. You know, we always kind of knew that was how it was going to look because he starts from Waters of Mars and Space there were points we started going actually could we do this could we do that it's very fluid I have my crazy conspiracy theory bit and one of the things we talked about was wouldn't it be great to actually see the other Doctor come back as the equivalent of the Master because he's just so pissed off at the Tenth Doctor for having dumped him in this alternate reality that he can't get back from I had a little squee at that point when I read it (laughs) it was very annoying because when they actually released the comic they forgot to put letters on the first page so you had this four page splash of the Doctor facing the Doctor with nothing and basically the entire first page was him going so you're that person no actually so you're the Valyard what the hell was going on <laughs> and of course no one's going well, what's going on here and he just turns over and the doctor goes well that's a crap name and you're like hang on what <laughs> luckily the trade had it but it, people were just going I just still don't know who this guy is <laughs> we would have loved to have used the alternate doctor but I think there's something in a vault in the BBC somewhere that says press here when tenant needed yes if that yes, makes sense I, I think as a fan I think there's a strong chance that something will happen along those lines at some point yeah it wouldn't surprise me either so what are you working on now well I'm doing the 11th doctor at the moment, obviously. Um, the fifth episode has just come out now. I'm currently writing the ninth episode with Ben Templesmith. He's coming back. Basically, we've been allowed to do a lot of things in Doctor Who, which has absolutely stunned us with what we've been able to do. We've just written a three-parter called When Worlds Collide, which effectively is Westworld type story. The Doctor's got a cowboy hat on. You literally have it that it all falls apart and these worlds all merge together and you've got basically these invading Sontarans who are effectively in each world. You've got Rory's trapped in a western world, the Doctor's trapped in a prehistoric world on a flying carpet. You've got <laughs> Amy's trapped in World War Two, and every single one of them's got Sontarans. Mm. You've got Nazi SS Sontarans, you've got cowboy Sonny Taran and his men. You know, And at, at the end of it, the big thing is that there's actually just 12 worlds and when it's actually exploded, there's 12 of every single person. So you actually end one of the episodes with there's 12 Doctors, 12 Rory's, 12 Amy's and they're all actually the original one there's no clones they're all originals and we've got a 20 foot cybernetic dinosaur called Kevin <laughs> in it as well who helps him as part of the thing and basically he joins the crew we sent Gary Russell an email saying can we have this 20 foot cybernetic dinosaur called Kevin join the TARDIS crew please and we explained what we wanted to do and he was like yeah it's fine <laughs> so we've got the annual and you actually have a panel where the doctor's literally showing his ID going I'm detective so and so and this is detective so and so and you've got literally the dinosaur standing behind him going just a fax man so we've been allowed to play a lot oh, more Oh, it's that. brilliant, because, so, I mean, the, the last sort of companion like that would surely have been Frobisher. It's very similar to that. But obviously the whole point is he's not a dinosaur, he's a robot. He's mm. just in a dinosaur form, because he's from this Westworld type thing. So I'm doing number nine, which is effectively Ben Templesworth known for space squids. So we're now having a massive space station be attacked by a space squid. We then move into a two-parter called Body Swap, which is involving a kind of like an alien bedlam mm. insane asylum, where the doctors and Ray, they're trying to find something out. And we're waiting to find if we can actually do something which never has been seen done before, which will involve some classic villains, and we're hoping to see if we can get that done. I say the word hoping because we're probably never going to be allowed. But we were allowed to have a 20-foot cybernetic dinosaur called Kevin, so we're doing quite well. And then 
the final one is basically it's a totally silent episode. Issue 12 is totally silent, and it's the Doctor and Santa Claus fighting robots to save that. So that's Doctor Who. Next month, my fifth Doctor Big Finish audio comes out, uh-huh. uh, Rat Trap, which is uh, the fifth Doctor, Tegan, Turlo, and Nyssa mm-hmm. in 1983, England, in war tunnels while the election's going on. Also, I've just done a Bernie Summerfield story, which is oh, going to be in the September collection, Private Enemy Number 1, and that was great fun. There's a few little fanboy things in that one I will I did, which um, <laughs> fans of her relationship with the Eighth Doctor will like. And my favourite bit was the fact she actually has a line at one point where she's just saying, there's some, what's worse than death? I don't know, something involving badgers. And I was quite happy with that. I'm working with MTV Comics at the moment. Mm-hmm. We're doing lots of stuff on a weekly serial. We've got Agent Mom with Elena Huffman, who's mm-hmm. TJ from Stargate Universe mm-hmm. and Black Canary from Smallville. Mm-hmm. So we're doing a series with her uh, about this woman who by day is a super spy, by night she's a mum of two with her husband and family. And we're doing The Gloom, which is a kind of a pulp noir 40s-style mm-hmm. parody comics. I'm adapting some stuff that hasn't been announced yet, which I can't mention, which is a bit annoying. <laughs> and Danger Academy. Danger Academy is coming out with Kickstart in July, and it's basically what if James Bond's son went to Hogwarts. It's kind of like the, the boarding school for the children of spies. Um, it's not James Bond's son. He's a super spy woman's son is taken to this place, and he meets all these other characters who bear vaguely non-legal threatening similarities to other people, <laughs> and they save the world. It's kind of like Spy Kids in, in mm-hmm. sort of the Hogwarts mansion. I've got loads of things I'm doing at the moment. It's insane say, at the moment. I'm juggling busy. so many things. I mean, Doctor Who is taking up a chunk of my time, but I love it so much. Mm. It's, it's so much fun to play with. I mean, I think I've done six Forgotten. I did 16 ongoings. I did one one shot. I've done two annual stories. I'm now on the ninth of the next section. I think I've done about 30 odd issues now. And I think Gary's now got to a point where he kind of he knows what I'm going to do. This, mm-hmm. this time Gary will go, no, 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 for the love of God, what are you doing, man? <laughs> but most of the time he'll go, yeah, okay, I kind of trust to see what you can do with this. So it's quite nice. The notes are better than I could have expected. But yeah, so you know, hopefully I'll be doing it for a few more years. It's quite I fun. Fingers crossed. Hello, this is Tim of Tim's Take On Podcast, and you're listening to the Dirty Hoos. Favourite tipple? Oh, well, you see, last night we drank a lot. That we drank the bar dry of absinthe, which isn't a good thing to say. <laughs> my favourite tipple is probably whiskey. I'm a malt man. I do like my malt. I did a talk at a university, the Bucks University, second year creative writing class, and as a thank you, they bought me a bottle of Jameson's. And it's the first time I've ever done a talk where I've been given whiskey as a thank you. And I'm thinking, <laughs> I need to do more school talks and convince them that they need to buy me alcohol, so that'd be quite nice. But I don't actually drink that much, believe it or not. I mean, there's a rumour that I always get drunk, but I don't. My mum and dad aren't really big drinkers, and because of that, I, I'll often more likely drink a pint of shandy or a, a lime and soda or something like that. But if I'm going to drink a whiskey and American ginger ale is quite nice, or a single, yeah, or absinthe. But it has to be done properly with, like, you know, the sugar, oh, the and, sugar the flames and the flames and, yeah. and the injections of laudanum and stuff like that, obviously. <laughs> if you could be a cake or biscuit, what cake or biscuit would you be? There was. It's, I can't find it anymore. It's real annoying. But Foxes did a biscuit a while back, which was this kind of... The Foxes Crunch Cream mm-hmm. biscuit, but with chocolate over the top. And they were lovely, and I was addicted to them. I think I must have put them about five stone when I ate them. And they don't do them anymore, which is a pretty good idea. Thank you very much, Foxes, for saving my waistline. But there's a bar called Rockies. There's a Rocky bar, mm-hmm. and they're, they're very similar. So I'd say I'd probably be a Rocky bar. <laughs> I, I do like the Rocky bars. Or a chocolate hobnob. Mm-hmm. Just going to have the word knob in it. It's amazing how popular chocolate hobnob is as yeah. a choice in that question, actually. I wouldn't be a jammy dodger, though. I think that's a bit overused these days. It is a little. It is. If you could meet anyone from history at all, who would it be? I don't. Oh, I hadn't really thought of it. I might look at someone like Bram Stoker or someone mm-hmm. like that to speak to them. I'm a massive Dracula fan and I've done books on that sort of thing. I think him, Oscar Wilde could be fun to have an evening out with. Mm. I, although that could turn very litigious. <laughs> I'm not too sure, actually, because there are people I'd like to meet.
date, just so I can get their idea of what they did on the things. I mean, there's some sort of Roman generals I'd like to speak to and say, why exactly did you do this or why did you do that? But I think it probably would be, be a literary person. It probably would be someone along the lines of Dickens or Bram Stoker or someone along those lines that I could actually sort of sit down and chat with and go, why exactly were you doing this or why did you do that? I think. I'm just not thinking there's anybody else that makes me go, oh my God, I would definitely want to do that. No, there's tons of fictional characters I'd love to meet, but, uh, <laughs> you know, obviously, but at the end of the day, I think, I think it probably would be, oh, Charlie Chaplin, actually. Do you know what? I would actually love to meet Charlie Chaplin. When we did Silver Scream, mm-hmm. Charlie Chaplin was the original thing. I mean, yeah. researched Charlie Chaplin. I've read books about Charlie Chaplin for years. And Charlie Chaplin was the main character in it until the day before it went to print. And I had a phone call from IDW who basically went, we're not too sure if we can use the little yeah. tramp. Charlie Chaplin is fine. Yeah. Well, the little tramp character. is a trademarked character. Mm. So we don't know if we can do it. And it's too late to redraw any scene involving him. And he's only in like two panels, but mm-hmm. it was too late to do that. So we had a choice of either utterly changing the story or changing the name so he became Archie Maplin mm-hmm. but if you actually change the lines that we've changed and it, you can see it, it really is yeah. Charlie Chaplin but Archie yeah. Maplin became the same and I actually had people contacting me saying where can I find Archie Maplin's movies <laughs> and it was just like oh really yeah, that's good but no I think Charlie Chaplin I think but I'd like to not see him in Hollywood days I'd like to see him in his boardwalk days mm. when he was in London I think I'd be interested to sort of see that as well yeah thank you very much it's been a pleasure yeah. Apparently, Tony listens to Dirty Who as well. He's drawing his comic. He doesn't say the Dirty Who is podcast, so I'll leave that to your imagination as to which who is it is he's listening to. (laughs) (laughs) Can't believe people listen to this. What are you doing? Are you serious? Get a fucking life. Are you serious? He actually listens to this? Well, he said he listens to it. I don't think he does. He's so lying. The Doctor Who fans, the social stigma is bad enough. What the fuck are you doing listening to this? Seriously. The social stigma. No, actually, this can hit the editing room floor. You've been listening to... The Dirty Hooers Doctor Who podcast. Follow us on iTunes or at DirtyHooers.com. Find us on Twitter at Dirty Hooers. See you next time. Hello, my name's Tony Lee, and I always like to listen to Dirty Hooers as I'm writing my comic books.